Amen. Can we thank the worship team? That's, that song is my jam right now. It's my favorite song. Um, so maybe that'll make the sermon awesome tonight. All right, so uh, exciting news tonight. Tonight we begin our much-anticipated series on the book of Ephesians. Yes, yes. There it is. We're going to try out slides tonight, too, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, and we're calling it Ephesians Back to Basics. Over the next t- couple of months, uh, maybe the next 16 weeks or so, we are going to do a deep dive into the book of Ephesians together. It should be no secret to you that the book of Ephesians is one of the most foundational books from the Bible as it relates to this church and who we are and the kind of lives that we live together. It has, in a unique and powerful way, it's really shaped our concept of what church is. It's shaped our concept of who we are. It's, it's shaped our concept of who God is and how all of those things relate together. Church, us, and God, okay? Um, many of us have memorized significant portions of Ephesians, uh, we teach from it often. People talk about this book. Some of everyone's favorite verses are from the book of Ephesians. So this is going to be very fun. Just as a, a little poll, anybody here your favorite book in the Bible, Ephesians? We got one. Only one. Wow. It's probably mine. I see that hand in the back, way back there. Awesome. Okay. So we got a few. Yeah, definitely probably my favorite book. Um, so... As we go through this book, as we go through the book of Ephesians together, we're going to try to pull out and emphasize some key scriptural principles that have shaped us as a church, okay? So so just historically, as this church, as the members of this church have studied the book of Ephesians together, they have been impacted by some of these truths uh, that we're going to look at here in the book of Ephesians, and it has really shaped the way that this church has lived its life together um, over the years. It sets some distinct patterns of life uh, that we operated in. And, and let me let, let you know this. You, right now, you are participating in that kind of life because you're part of this church. You may not know it. You may not know how the book of Ephesians is shaping your very life today as you're part of this community, but it has. Whether it's the home groups that you attend, whether it's the way that you teach your kids to obey you as parents, whether it's the way that we approach uh, spiritual battles, all of these things come out of the book of Ephesians. So this book has really shaped our our daily life as a group of people. Um, But one of the things that we, I think we, we need to admit is that for a lot of us, we have inherited those ideas and inherited and stepped into those ways of life because somebody before us decided that was a good way to do things, okay? And let's say this, inheriting truth, inheriting ways of life from people that are wiser than you, that have gone before you, is very healthy. It's a very good thing. But because the ideas and the principles that we're going to be looking at in the book of Ephesians are so significant, because they're so beautiful, because they're so powerful, uh, they're so central 
to what we're doing as, where are we at here? Okay, yes. Those are the people right there studying Ephesians for the first, no, I don't know that really. Um, but they're so significant to who we are, we really believe that we need to, as a body, during this study, come back and study them together. To understand them together, to embrace them together, so that it's not just an inheriting, but it is a coming to the Word of God, seeing the truth of the Word of God and applying it to our lives in this generation. For here and now. Amen? There, the, the Word of God is eternal. It lasts forever. It doesn't change. But every generation has to come to the Word of God and allow that word to get deep in their hearts and activate it in the time that they live in. And so that, that's the heart behind what we want to do in this study on Ephesians. And I, I re- you guys, I really believe that if we together will come to the word of God and allow these truths, these ideas about church and life together to really capture us, to take hold of us, to empower us in the Holy Spirit, I think that we can see a powerful move of God in this city, in this generation right now, okay? So that's, that's in the background, okay? I think that the result of this study and allowing God to, to show us these things, I think God wants to move in this city, and, and I think this is key to it happening in us, Okay? I also want to say this, conversely, okay, if we fail, if we fail to embrace these kind of fundamental truths about what it means to be the people of God, to be the church, I think we run a really big risk of of allowing our faith to be formalized and allowing it to dissipate into some type of cold religious adherence to ideas that have no life in them and, and, if, and if that happens, I think our flame in this church can be extinguished. I think the power of God uh, can leave a church uh, if we aren't committed to applying these things. Nothing, nope, nothing really significant going on here, right? <laughs> so, uh, exciting study. What we've done is we've assembled a group of younger men from the younger generation to kind of lead us through these teachings on Saturday nights. That's going to be uh, it's going to be Dan Eaton, uh, Matt Schaefer, Matt Hellman, Victor, uh, Kenton, and myself. We're going to walk you through these teachings on Saturday night. But crucial, absolutely essential to what we're doing is that the entire church that we would corporately be studying the book of Ephesians together, okay? So that's what we're going to do as we teach from Saturday nights. We're going to be studying this in home groups together, and so you're going to get more information about that from your home group leader at your home group as we study through. Cool? Everybody understand what's going on? Are you excited about this? I'm pumped about this. I think this is going to be great. Um, So, but what I want to do tonight, I'm going to give us an introduction to the book of Ephesians, so let's pray together as we just kind of look at the background uh, to set the stage for our study. So, God, we we bless you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for um, the awesome men and women that have gone before us in this church, that have studied your word diligently, uh, that have allowed your Holy Spirit to 
um, shape them, not according to this world, God, but according to your word. Uh, and Lord, just at the onset, Lord, we ask that you would bless this book of Ephesians, God. Uh, you would bless this study. That you would bless each person uh, in this room, God, that we would, uh, we would touch you, Father God. We would touch eternity uh, as we read your eternal word, God, that it would shape us as a people that ultimately, God, that you would come and you would dwell in us as your church uh, and that you would be glorified in Lexington, Kentucky, God. We love you. Amen. All right, so, well, the first verse in Ephesians, I'm going to read the first two to you. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Tonight, we want to start with the writer. So just in our, in our intro to this book, we want to think about Paul a little bit. And you, you probably need to understand that Paul was a complex individual, and he stood kind of at the crossroad of different religions, uh, different cultures, and different political systems, all converging uh, at one moment in history. And we know that Paul was a Jew, okay? Uh, so he grew up in a Jewish home. He was an expert in the Jewish law. I mean, he actually studied the Jewish law, and he, was, he tells us that he strictly abided by the Jewish law. We also know that Paul was a Roman citizen. So Paul was also familiar with the Roman pagan gods, and he was also familiar with Roman civic law, okay? All of this going on at once. So, it was during his lifetime, right, that Jesus went to the cross and rose again. And, and after that, the church began to grow in Jerusalem, primarily among the Jews that were in Jerusalem. And Paul was aware of this, and he took notice of this. And the first thing that we hear about Paul in the scriptures is that he was there present for one of the first martyrs in Christian history, he watched Stephen get martyred, and he approved of that action, okay? And then right after that, we begin to see that Paul actually begins to be part of this group of Pharisees that begin to ravage the church by taking Christian people out of their homes and imprisoning them, okay? So this is very important to think about when we're thinking about Paul as a writer, is that at one time, Paul was opposed to Jesus and his followers. In fact, he wanted to destroy this new religion that was being established in Jerusalem, okay? Well, we know that this doesn't last long, right? Because Paul experiences this supernatural conversion to becoming a follower of Jesus. He becomes a very, the, the people that he, were try, he was trying to destroy, he becomes part of them, right? He's on the road to, this, to Damascus to get uh, permission to persecute more Christians and as he's walking to Damascus, a light shines down from heaven, and we know that God actually audibly speaks to Paul. Uh, and after that experience, Paul becomes a Christian. And as the Holy Spirit begins to operate in his life, he's transformed into this evangelist and really a church planner that travels all over the region all through the Mediterranean area, Asia, Europe, and he plants churches everywhere he goes, primarily among non-Jewish peoples. 
a good portion of the New Testament. What we have today as as the New Testament is made up of letters that Paul sent to the various churches that he established in the region. We know that Paul went to Ephesus, right? He stayed there for at least two years, uh, preaching and uh, seeing miracles happen and discipling members of the church there in Ephesus. Then he decides, you know, he gets his calling, this sense from God that he has to go back to Jerusalem. And we know that when he goes back to Jerusalem, before he goes back to Jerusalem, who does he want to meet with before he goes back? He wants to meet with the elders of the church at Ephesus. And so you know this scene in Acts, right, where he goes and he meets with the elders and they cry together, they pray together, they encourage one another, and then they say their last words to Paul before he goes back to Jerusalem and ultimately to Rome and ultimately to his death. So we can see here that Paul has a very significant, deep, relational connection with the church and the elders at Ephesians. In the opening, we see that Paul calls himself an apostle, okay? The Greek word for apostle is apostolos, not a whole lot different from our word, but this term simply means one who's sent on a mission, a delegate or a messenger, okay? Sorry. Um, The first, the, the 12 disciples that Jesus was with, he calls them apostles, Most likely, Paul is calling himself an apostle in this situation at the beginning of Ephesians due to the fact that he had been sent to them to declare the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles. You'll also note in this letter that Paul refers to himself as a prisoner, okay? So both an apostle and a prisoner. Most likely, he refers to himself as a prisoner because he's at home in jail in Rome at this time, okay? And so most, uh, like, biblical historians believe that the time in which Paul was at home in jail was 62 to 64 A.D., so we believe that this this letter was written around 62 to 64 A.D. That's Paul. Next, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. The recipients of this letter were the members of the church at Ephesus. So let's talk a little bit about the church at Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus, as you can see on the map, I don't know how well you can see that from where you are, but Ephesus was a port city on the eastern side of the Mediterranean, okay? Uh, In what we now call this Turkey, okay? It was a really significant, important city, Uh, It was probably the most significant Roman city in Asia, okay? Uh, Just culturally, economically, uh, religiously, academically, it was the premier city in this area, okay? Uh, We actually know a lot about Ephesus um, today just as a result of the historical record, extra-biblical stuff, uh, but also archaeologically. Ephesus is one of the hot tourist spots uh, in the area because you can go there now and you can still see the ruins of this city. Some of the major uh, locations there, you see this up in, I can see in the top right corner, uh, that is actually the Temple of Artemis, which we hear about in the Bible. Uh, you also see the Library of Celsus, which is still, that's the one on the other side, it's still actually standing. And then there is a massive amphitheater you see there that could hold about 24,000 people in it. So, 
just as a way of giving us some background about the city of Ephesus and the church at Ephesus, what I want to do is I want to go to Acts, okay? And there's a section of scripture in Acts from like 19 to 22 where we hear a little bit about what was going on at the origin of the church in Ephesus. Uh, so we'll tell some stories, and I'm going to try to pull some points out of these um, for you. When Paul came to Ephesus, you remember this story? He met 12 men, 12 disciples, 12 Christians that were there, and he asked them this. Hey, have you guys been filled with the Holy Spirit? You remember this story? And they told him, we've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. We've been baptized into the baptism of repentance. The Holy Spirit, we don't know what that is. And so there he lays his hands on them, and they're immediately filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says they begin to prophesy and speak in tongues. Right there. Okay? And then we also know that as Paul was there ministering in the area, amazing miracles took place. People were healed from diseases. People that were filled with demons. Those demons were cast out and they were set free. We even know that people would go and touch like napkins and handkerchiefs that Paul had touched and they would get healed just by touching those, okay? Well, some of the local uh, magicians and exorcists in the area, we, we also learned they try to like learn from Paul and copy him, but they can't. They don't have the same power that Paul has in the Holy Spirit. And so we, we understand that this, the entire city begins to become aware of this Holy Spirit activity in the people of God. And it says that fear fell on the entire city because of this. And it led to repentance among people. Many of the Ephesians actually came and admitted that they had been practicing this dark magic, okay? And they even brought their magic books with them, okay? And there's a story where they all come and they create this huge bonfire where they all throw their books in and burn it. And they, and they absolutely take everything of that old lifestyle and burn it up. We know that it says that the value of the books that they burned was 50,000 uh, pieces of silver, okay? So a couple of takeaways from this, if you will. The church at Ephesus, from its very origin, was full of the Holy Spirit. And their normal way of life, the normal activity that they were accustomed to, was the Holy Spirit at work in all of its giftings in their midst. Amen? Is that cool? There was at the same time a widespread practice of magic, right? Of dark spiritual forces in the city as a whole. And there were widespread evil spirits across this city that the church of Ephesus was located in. But what we see is that when the people full of the Holy Spirit interact with those spirits in that city, okay, we see this. We see a clash, actually, in the city of those two kingdoms coming against one another. We see that the Holy Spirit overcomes in every situation. The Holy Spirit overcomes these evil spirits in this city. And we see that it leads to repentance, and we see that it leads to people totally abandoning their old lifestyle, destroying everything that made up who they were before at a great monetary cost to them. Okay, These are the people, these are the, the first members of the church at Ephesus. Uh, pagan cities often in this, in this era, pagan cities often had a god that they were dedicated to. That was the case for Ephesus. 
Ephesus' god was Artemis or Diana. This is the god of um, forests and hunting. Yes, so a lot of hunters there, I guess. She's also associated with purity and fertility, okay? As we mentioned earlier, and it's right up there still on the, on the slide, um, they had this massive temple. It was one of the seven wonders of the world, this massive temple that was dedicated to Artemis. And as the church in Ephesus began to grow, numbers of believers begin to abandon the worship of Artemis that, would, that was pervasive in Ephesus, okay? So as they began to abandon the worship of Artemis, we hear that some local silversmiths rile up the city to go after these believers who are no longer worshiping Artemis. And we see that there's a connection between pagan worship and, and the economic systems in this city because what these silversmiths are mad about is the fact that these Christians, because they're no longer worshiping Artemis, are no longer purchasing silver shrines to Artemis, okay? I think this is really important um, because we can see from this story that the city, uh, the society, the culture in Ephesus was one that was dominated by religious worship of pagan gods and economic trade that's associated, somehow connected with that worship, okay? So the value system of this community that the church was in revolved around pagan worship and economic pursuit, okay? And when these systems were challenged or maybe put in jeopardy by the people of God withdrawing from those systems, we see that the culture at large is not going to stand for it. And they choose to then persecute uh, and punish the Christians for their exit from these cultural systems that everyone else is wrapped up in and committed to. Okay, make sense? All right. Uh, also, when Paul was in Ephesus, we learned that one of the first things that he did when he was there is he taught in the synagogues. Okay, so there were Jewish synagogues, so they're Jewish people in Ephesus, right, pretty far from Jerusalem, but they have migrated there as well. And he taught in the synagogues. Uh, but after a while, he kind of exhausts those audiences. And so he moves to this place called the Hall of Tyrannus, okay? And we're told that he reasoned there daily with people about who God was. And we also learned that as a result of his reasoning there, his daily presence in the Hall of Tyrannus, it says that the gospel spread throughout Asia, Okay? Uh, so from this story, one of the things I'd like to point out is that you see that library up there. Ephesus was one of the centers of knowledge and philosophy and academia and books. You can wait on that. Just wait for that slide once. That's the punchline there. You're doing great. I lost my point. That, yeah, that, that Ephesus was one of the centers of, of academia in the area. And we see Paul leading the way, but we really see the church stepping into those academic centers and boldly declaring in their midst who God was. We see them persistently, daily going in and speaking rationally, speaking philosophically in those centers centers, those centers, 
and those centers promoting faith in Jesus Christ and the understanding of God that comes from the, from the word. And, and, and we see the result of this is that not just that city, all right, there's something significant about cities that have economic, I'm sorry, academic sway. That city isn't just that city that's affected, but the entire region beyond that city is affected with the word of God. All right, now go, boom. I want to share these dynamics with you because I believe, uh, this is, these are some things about the DNA of the church at Ephesus, and I think they're important because I think the same forces, the same societal forces that were present in Ephesus are here in Lexington, Kentucky today, thousands of years later. I think we live in the midst uh, of a community that is full of dark spiritual forces. I think we live in the center of knowledge. I mean, Louisville's great, but University of Kentucky, this is the center of knowledge in this state. <laughs> and I think, I think the, in, in, in Lexington, the water that we swim in, the air that we breathe, is consumed by economic pursuits and worship of pagan gods. We'll unpack that as we go along, but just go there with me. I think this means that this book is really significant to us for this time right now. This is not just looking at something that happened long ago, but this is perfectly relevant for who we are and what we're doing in Lexington, Kentucky right now, okay? Um, so as the church at Ephesus matured and grew, it became uh, one of the most influential churches in early Christianity, okay? In fact, Christianity, we believe that Christianity became the predominant religion in Ephesus because a lot of the old temples and shrines were converted into religious, I mean, sorry, Christian centers of worship, okay? We also believe that Timothy, one of Paul's disciples, became the first bishop at Ephesus, and then later on, we know that John, the apostle, came and lived in Ephesus, and that's where he wrote the gospel of John. Because of that, a lot of people think that Mary, the mother of Jesus, came with John, and she lived in Ephesus at the end of her life. The last mention of the, uh, the church at Ephesus in the Bible is from the book of Revelation. Ephesus is the first church listed in the seven churches that Jesus wants to speak to. So again, this is a really important church in the early church. And Jesus praises Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, for their works, patience, and endurance for his namesake. But he's also critical of him, and you know this because we just... We, we talked about this a lot in our last fast previous year. He's critical of them for abandoning their first love, okay? And he actually tells them, if you all don't return to your first love and your works, I will extinguish you, okay? So putting some of these pieces together, we can tell that the church in Ephesus, it was a large church, but we also believe that they met in small church homes across the city. In Corinthians, Paul refers to the church at Ephesus meeting in the household of Priscilla and Aquila. We also get a sense that Paul didn't know everyone that he was writing to. In, in chapter 3, we see Paul say this, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. Okay, So you can kind of see as he's speaking to his audience, he thinks some of them may know him and others may not. And this could be because this church was spread out across this entire city, 
and small little family churches, okay? Most scholars believe that the book of Ephesus was a circular. That means that he sent it to be transferred among those various churches to be read individually among those individual churches. And so something that's very interesting, you may already know this, but something very interesting about the book of Ephesians is that there's no mention in the book of Ephesians of any one particular problem that Paul is writing to address, right? You're familiar with some of Paul's other books, and he's writing to address specific things, like in Corinthians, right? We all know why he was writing Corinthians, because there were certain things going on in the church that he wanted to rebuke. But because this book doesn't have one particular issue, we can see that it is kind of general in nature, and it speaks to some very fundamental principles that could apply to any church, irregardless of what they're facing. And so a lot of scholars look at this book of Ephesus as kind of this flyover view of what the church should be in a fundamental sense. Okay, a lot of people call it the manifesto, Paul's manifesto for the church. Okay, so again, for this reason, this is a book that can apply very well to us as a church as we try to understand what it means to be God's people in the earth. Let me give you some of the primary themes uh, that are included in the book of Ephesians. Um, we've got the works of the triune God. We've got the spiritual blessings in Christ. We've got salvation by grace. Inclusion of the Gentiles into the family of God. We've got unity in the church. We've got newness of life in Christ. We've got holy lifestyles. We've got submission to one another and submission to Christ. And then last at the end, we've got spiritual warfare. Okay, A lot of awesome themes that we'll be covering. In addition to these themes... Uh, there's something noteworthy about the organizational structure uh, of Ephesians. It's clearly broken down into three different sections, okay? And so Watchman Nee, who's an author that a lot of us really like, he has a book on Ephesians, and he calls it Sit, Walk, and Stand in reference to these three distinct sections, okay? So the first section would be chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 3, verse 21. And it is primarily, this is a doctrinal section mostly deals with how God has redeemed us in Christ, and it set, sets forth a, a description of our new position before God because of what Jesus has done. In chapter 2, verse 6, you're going to read it says, God has seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So this idea of sit, where we sit, we sit in heavenly places. That is a doctrinal description of who we are based on what Christ has done in us. Then we have the second half of the book. And the second half of the book is more of a practical application of how Christians should act in the world on a daily basis because of what Christ has done in us. And this can be kind of further broken down into two sections. So the first section would be chapter 4, verse 1, through chapter 6, verse 9, which specifically gives instruction to Christians on how we are to live in the world. So chapter 4, verse 1 reads this, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. You see that walk word there. This word walk can be kind of a summary of this idea of how 
Christians should live lives towards one another of unity and submission and love. And this is that new life that we enter into. It's the new walk that we enter into. And then your third section would be chapter 6, verse 10 to the end, verse 24. And it specifically gives instruction on how Christians should battle with Satan and the enemy and the dark forces that are opposed to the kingdom of God, okay? And so in chapter 6, verse 11, you're going to see that it reads that we've got to put on that, right, that armor of God so that we can do what? We can stand against the schemes of the devil. And this word stand essentially is this descriptive idea of how we approach the enemy, okay? Similarly, some other people have called this same. I mean, it's, uh, everyone recognizes there's three sections. Other people call it, the, they like the three W's, the wealth, the walk, and the warfare. All right? All right, great. So um, that's our summary of the introduction to the book of Ephesians that we're going to be going over um, for the next couple of months. What I want to do, though, is before we close... I want to share something from the first verse, just some application from the first verse uh, that we talked over. So we've done the conclusion. Would everybody stand up and look at somebody? You can either give them a fist pump or a big high five and say, Ephesians rocks. (laughs) All right. You can sit back down. Thank you for doing that. We're pumped up. We've got the introduction. We're going to close after, uh, worship team, you guys can come up, but we're going to close with communion after this. But we're going to, I'm going to shift gears just for a second. That was kind of bookish, what we just did. But I want to share kind of in the spirit with you about this first verse that we looked at. So it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to key in on this verse. It says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. There's four, four thoughts here that I want, to, I want to mention to you real quickly. Paul, you know, he always, he's addressing an actual people in Ephesus when he says this. And he declares some really powerful things over the, the church in Ephesus. And I think maybe you could... Uh, put yourself in their shoes for a second as you're, you're hearing this awesome man of God, Paul, speak something about you and about who you are. And I don't, I don't think that just, just, this just applies to the church at Ephesus, but I think this truth applies to us here today. So almost I'm asking you to imagine that the Apostle Paul is speaking directly to you and he's telling you something about who you are. So number one, you are a saint. You are a saint. When you chose to believe in Jesus and make him Lord of your life, you became a saint. There's some crazy ideas out there that there's these things that you have to do to become a saint. Like, I don't know, it's like two or three miracles or something. That's, that's junk. That's heresy. You are a saint. You are holy. You have been set apart for the work of God. God has awesome works for you to do because you are now his saint, holy and set apart. Number two, you're not in Ephesus 
but you're in Lexington. You are in Lexington. God added you into this church. God did things in your life that led you to being here. He's put you here for a very specific reason. It's not accidental. You're part of this community for a reason. You're part of this time period for a reason. There's a lot of people that God could have put in this place in this time, but he chose to put you here and in this time. And that's huge. That's big. Number three, I think that we need to hear this. You are faithful. You are a faithful person. Your commitment to Christ was not a whim. It was not an accident. It's not temporary. It's not fading. But when you made a decision to follow him, that was a forever decision. And by the power of Jesus in you, you can be faithful to that commitment. And number four, it's amazing, the, the greatest privilege in life is that you are in Christ. We're going to unpack this a lot in this book as we go through it. But Jesus Christ, he's literally here right now because of our decisions to make him Lord. He's in this room with us. And because we're in him, because we're in him, you are protected from the enemy. You have a new identity. You're a new person in front of God the Father, the fearsome creator of heaven and earth. You are his son now because you are in Jesus. That's who God sees. And because you're in Jesus, all of the power, all of the authority that God put upon his son now abides in us and with us and we exhibit that power in the earth now. Amen? Can you receive that? Amen. Awesome. All right. Praise the Lord. Here we go. Um, Tom, you want to come up and uh, lead us in communion?